recording. Look at them planes over there. When they're passing like, oh, yay, Graham is recording. Let's go ahead and just line up to land at Charlotte Airport. One, yeah. two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham. Of course, with me, the absolutely fantastic Jojo. Hello to you, Jojo, I say. Howdy do, Graham. <laughs> ah, the howdy do is back, man. I love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I was listening to the podcast this week, and I'm like, Remember the last time Jojo said how did you? What the <laughs> do we not do how do you do anymore? What's going on over here? <laughs> well, I, I on my Instagram feed I saw a, a little picture of a cat in a cowboy hat and it said how do you do bitch and I was like oh I need to bring that back. I love it. I've, I've heard every single version of the how to do, except the how to do bitch. How to like, do, bitch. This is cool. This is a real cool cat. Yes, yes, little cowboy hat. Yep. How to do, bitch. How to do, bitch. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right. So, again, we hope you are having a, had a phenomenal week last week. And since this podcast is published on Tuesday... You're also having, so far, an absolutely great week. Jojo, how are you doing, for real? I am, for real, for real, I'm I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, okay is what we're going to go with. I, I think, yeah. yeah, you know, let's not even talk about last week. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's... You know, so let's, let's just not do that. <clears throat> we'll, we'll focus on the week to come. But today we bring you an absolutely fantastic little show the one we are going to talk about. And of course, we also have our segment of what did you watch last week? I was very pleased, pleased enough with what did you watch last week for the week before that it became actually the video version of our podcast. I didn't include anything from the main topic, but rather the little moment that we talked about. What was the show that you talked about? Why didn't we? Why didn't they ask Evans? So we didn't. I didn't include any of that. But so I took the part where we talked about Moon Knight and I talked about Shakespeare and Hathaway, and made a, about a twelve-minute clip of it and and put it on our YouTube channel, which it has actually had quite the reception, to be honest. So this week we are going to go back and talk a bit about the things that we. And and I think I should clarify for our audience in the sense that when we say, what did you watch this week? We're not necessarily meaning that the show that we talk about for real, like the, the main long part of the podcast that we talk about, we didn't watch it this week. We actually do watch those shows this week. But mm-hmm. on our personal list, there, mm-hmm. there are the things that we watch because, you know, that's what we are going to talk about. and there are the shows that we watch because, you know, those are on our personal moments. The shows that we've picked to watch for ourselves, for our own entertainment. Therefore, you know, we want to use that as recommendations, isn't it, George? Yep. 
Yep, that's 100% it. Yep. Stuff that we, not something that we necessarily want to do a whole show about, but stuff that we've enjoyed over the week that has been has been good. Yep, yep. And before we get started, I also want to tell folks, our video of what's streaming for the entire month has been posted on our YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you should probably think about doing that because Jojo does a fantastic job taking all of that material, writing a nice little voiceover to it, and telling you exactly what to expect of each show from each of the of the streaming platforms. And we've had quite a bit of fun doing that. I love editing it because Jojo is so damn good at it, uh, <laughs> at the voiceover, <laughs> to the point where I don't even feel, I don't even ask, like, do you need any help or shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so moving on then, let's let's see. What did you watch this week, Jojo? So this week I finished a series that I think we talked about, not on in the sense of doing a podcast about it, but in the sense of me talking about how bonkers it was. But I finished the uh, documentary series, The Way Down. So they just published the second part of it on HBO Max. And so I finished, finished watching uh, the last part of that. And uh, I can't say that the sa- the conclusion was all that satisfying because the story isn't really truly over. But if you haven't watched this documentary, I highly recommend it, especially since it, both pieces are out now. And there is a little bit more of a complete picture of what's going on with this, this particular uh, wackadoo church called The Remnant down in Tennessee. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy wild ride. Remind us again what, what it was about, if you will. Yeah. So it's about this woman named Gwen Shamblin who started a, she at first started like a a weight loss workshop that was mainly held in churches, like church groups, not in the sense of like anything being preached from their pulpit or whatever, but in the sense of something like the the women or the the men in the congregation would get together and and talk about this book and it was at the beginning nothing really too crazy in the sense of of dieting it was more like you know pay attention to what you're eating um chew carefully you know try not to overindulge that kind of thing kind of your basic weight loss program that was happening all the time <laughs> i think this was in the in the 80s late 80s early 90s when she started it and um, from there, she just kind of grew this empire and ended up basing a church, a literal Christian church, or I shouldn't say literal, but a Christian-based church, a Bible-based church, whatever, on her weight loss book oh, dear. and her her belief in in weight loss and in God helping you with all of that. And it just went insane from there. Like it went from okay, this is a thing that, you know, church groups groups get together and do to an all-out, absolute, 100% cult. So the producers uh, decided to go ahead and do this documentary because it's it's just this church had such a stranglehold over this town in, in Tennessee. They, you know, they they recruited people. So if you join the church, like you, you, you would get your hair done by somebody in the church. You would get your car worked on by somebody who was in the church. You would buy your car from somebody whose dealership was a member of the church. So it was all very sort of monopolized and inbred type uh, thing. So it was very insular 
and very like to them, they touted it as, you know, oh, you're going to our people, you know, you're going to get a good deal, yada, yada, that kind of thing. But of course, the money is pouring into the church and tithing and all that kind of thing. But so before the documentary came out, just before it was supposed to be released, the Gwen Shamblin herself, her husband, and a whole bunch of other leaders of the church actually died in a plane crash. So there was a question as to if they were even going to release this documentary series. And they decided to go ahead and release it, but do it in two parts. So the beginning of it is sort of their first idea of what they were going to be doing with it while she was still alive and attempting to get interviewers with her and that kind of thing. And then once she was killed in this uh, plane crash, it's more of the aftermath of what happened with the church and the leaders and the leadership, because she had a true stranglehold. She was a cult leader. So you know how that, you know, they they don't really delegate too much. Yeah. They don't (laughs) foresee themselves ever being gone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. They're, they're going to live forever. So, so it was just how the church was trying to restructure and what's happened. And anyway, it's, it's very interesting and very, I think, Non-judgmental is a good way to put it, because I, I think a lot of the documentaries and things that, that I've seen for people who get involved in this kind of thing sort of seems to be victim blaming in the sense of how could you be so dumb as to fall for something like that? Or, you know, how, what, why in the world didn't you just walk away? Much like it is with, you know, women who are abused or men who are abused in relationships. But this really goes into the psychology of a cult and um, the how the importance of that can take utmost importance of your life over family, over loved ones, over even yourself. So uh, it's a it's a really really well done documentary. It's not sensationalized, even though the woman herself, Gwen Shamblin, was a sensational person. I mean, there's. She's just insane. When you look up pictures, there's a picture of her and her her hair is like, you know, the higher the hair, closer to God or whatever. But that that is actually how her hair is. When you look at it, you're like, this is ridiculous. Like this is it's a picture of her on the cover of the documentary on HBO. And uh, you're like, nobody, you know, why would they make somebody look like that? But it's just a picture of her. That's that's how she <laughs> actually looked towards the end. So. Yeah, so it's 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 a it's a documentary I really recommend, and they just released the second part of it. And uh, like I said, I don't know how how satisfying the ending was in the it, it's still ongoing, but maybe they'll do a third part and follow up again. I don't know, but yeah, good stuff. Like I don't know, knowing that you talked about it the first time, uh, I don't know how I haven't taken a moment to to actually watch it, but. Now that the picture is more or less complete, I'll probably will do that now. Uh, yeah, you know. I think that that when I started it, I didn't realize it was going to be in two parts. So I think I don't think I would have started it before if I'd known <laughs> that they were going to be waiting to release the rest of it. But now, now that it's it's fully out, it's yeah, it's yeah. Good. I'm, I'm sort of getting fed up with the whole two parts of the same story shit, like waiting a, a little bit and and stuff like. This weekend, uh, the second part of the finale of Ozark came out, and I don't even know if I'm going to, if I'm interested in watching it this weekend or just, you know, just wait. I mean, it's over anyway, so I'll watch it when I get to it. But because I, I don't see the point of 
doing oh, five episodes here and then I'm gonna give you seven episodes for the finale. Shut up. It's, it's just it's just let people binge watch whatever they want to binge watch. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So for me this week it was a little bit weird because so when I was in Europe a few weeks ago, I remember I went on Hulu, thanks to VPN, and I watched Saturday Night Live on Hulu. It was like Tuesday. We had just gotten to Amsterdam. And I know I saw that the host was Gerard Carmichael, uh, comedian Gerard Carmichael. And, you know, Gerard is a very smart comedian. You know, do that it has a very different way of making you laugh and very self-deprecating sometimes, and, but like in a very smart way. So when he was saying, you probably are asking yourself, why is this guy hosting Saturday Night Live? Is he famous? He's like, no, I'm not that famous, <laughs> you know? And then he said, you know, my name is Gerard Carmichael. I have my third HBO special. And in that HBO special, I came out as gay. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I'm, I'm going to watch this, you know. Gerard Carmichael is a black dude from North Carolina. And not, a, not, not visibly effeminate or whatever, ever given any sign of, of any ambiguity to his sexuality or anything like that. So for him to come out gay in a HBO special was like, okay, I need to watch that. We came back home. And I, I didn't remember to put it aside to watch. Then today, actually, I decided to watch it. And I have to say, Jojo, you know how, like, people, whenever you talk about stand-up comedy specials, you will always remember Eddie Murphy, <clears throat> Richard Pryor. You know, people who somehow their stand-up comedy style in their first or special, some special, some stand-up special they did is located in the top 10 of everything. Yeah, like and, George Carlin or Robin Williams or... Yes. Yeah, yeah, Richard Pryor, yeah. Exactly. I think, without exaggeration, Gerard Carmichael has done something here that nobody has done. Gerard has a style of storytelling, which obviously every stand-up comedian has. But Gerard can tell you a story about himself that is funny, is smart, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like this is a guy that is trying to make you laugh. If you laugh, that's fine. But he made this entire comedy special feel like a conversation with somebody you just met that you immediately know you're going to become good friends with. That's do, cool. Do, do you see what I'm saying here? I do, yeah. Because the, 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 kind of, the kind of confessions he makes to the audience, the, the, the sincerity to which he goes about it, the letting my guard down and becoming vulnerable. And it wasn't, you know, granted a 10,000-seat theater. It was a small venue, like an old-school stand-up bar or whatever. Maybe, maybe 75 people or 100. Very cozy. And he sits there, and he starts talking about his family, himself. 
he talks about the secrets in his family and how he too had secrets. That he, he was raised in a culture of secrets. And it was the best unburdening situation I've ever seen. So smart, so fantastic, that I recommend everybody to go ahead and watch. The, the, the title of the show is actually Rothaniel. Okay. Rothaniel. And it's on HBO Max. And I kept thinking, well, that's an odd title. It sounds like somebody's name. Why? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, probably he's going to talk about some good friend he went to school with or whatever. And it turns out that Rothaniel is his first name. Oh, okay. That's okay. one of his secrets. Okay. <laughs> you know. But obviously the major secret of the day was coming out and telling folks that he was gay and how that has affected his relationship with his mother, with his religious beliefs, he, the black community, his dad, and everybody else. It's just an absolute, it's a conversation more than anything else. But it's a conversation of somebody that you have with somebody you just met and you're like, hey man, can I get your number? Like, can we get, you know, can we do this again? You know, yeah. That's 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 the way it felt. That's the way. It that's felt. that's cool. That's very very cool. Very cool. And what 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 is the comedian? I mean, I know now his name is Rothaniel, but what what what's his name again? Gerard Carmichael. Gerard Carmichael. Okay. It's it's you know. It's beautiful. Like whenever you you know sliding by on HBO Max, check him out. Rothaniel is the special, and the the comedian is Gerard Carmichael. So that's what I watched, and I don't know, man. Like it, it wasn't sad, Jojo. It wasn't sad. It wasn't even when 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 he it, it got to situations, to part of the of the conversation where you felt sad for him, but it wasn't a question of feel sad for me, but rather just hear me out. I just wanted to unburden. I just want to say these things. And since I might never see you again, I've chosen you to listen, if you will listen. So this is it, man. Uh, yeah, Georgia, this is... Shall we go to commercials and come back? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> That's awesome though. I'm gonna look that up because I, I I love a good stand up and I haven't I haven't watched one in a while. So, and, and by the way, the one thing he does is that he doesn't stand up. He's he he okay. does it Cosby style. He sits. He sits. Okay. You know, I love I love that. Uh, yeah. I, I think the first comedian I ever saw do that was Bill Cosby. Yeah. Doing stand up while sitting, it's, you know, and it's a, it's a very different thing because sitting creates that sense of let's talk yeah it does yeah you know? it's definitely a more um intimate feeling as opposed to a performance yeah you just put it in the right words right there which you do all the time i hate that <laughs> <laughs> right oh boy so let's move on then uh, this week we are talking about tokyo vice which is also a show 
on HBO Max. The reason we know about this show, again, is because we have made it our duty to prepare a package for you every month to put on our YouTube channel, where we tell you everything that's coming for the next month in the different streaming platforms. And I do remember Jojo talking about Tokyo Vice in, a, in, in that package. Okay. And I was like, you know, it sounds like a, another police procedural show, whatever. So I'm going to watch it when I get to it. You know what I mean? That, that, that's the way I felt about it. Agreed. Little did I know that this is a really, really, really great show. And I think it's flying under the radar. What do you think, Jojo? I agree. I really haven't heard anybody talking about it. It hasn't come across like any of the feeds I follow for entertainment shows and that kind of thing. So I, I don't think a lot of people are watching it. I don't really know why. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't have an explanation for it unless they're also thinking this is just a police procedural and I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. I don't think people... I don't think you could you can know what this show is about unless you are one familiar with the book by or the novel. It was it was a novel. It wasn't necessarily a you know a book or autobiographical or whatever. It was a novel with certain auto autobiographical. I, 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 I think that he actually originally. I'm not sure at this moment, but I think at the time of publication, the author said it was completely true. Right. So I think that's changed a little bit over the years. But I do think that if it, if it's based, one, on... It, you would know about it, one, if you know about the book, or two, if the name doesn't throw you off, or the title of it, because Tokyo Vice doesn't say anything to a lot of people, because to me, I know it, that it wasn't saying a lot to me. To me, all I could think of was Miami Vice. Miami Vice. So I was thinking, you know, like 80s jackets and 80s cars in Tokyo. And then the trailer was none of that. So I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. And so I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. dumb, but that's just how my brain worked. A that's glimpse how... inside the dumb American brain. <laughs> <laughs> that Well, that, that's exactly how all of our brains work. Because the fact is, because there is the antecedent of Miami Vice, the first thing that occurred to me was, oh, maybe this is a knockoff Miami Vice as Tokyo Vice. Like, that's that's what I, you know, that's what I'm going to go with. Don't as it may sound, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I, and I, you know, when the trailer came out and it wasn't all like, you know, pastels and neons and, and you know, fake palm trees in Japan or whatever. I was like, okay, that's not, it's obviously not what I thought it was going to be. Because honestly, the the name to me sounds like it could be sort of like a future apocalyptic type show. You know what I mean? Like one of those like set in 50 years in the future where everything is a, is a robot and, you know, you have the, I don't know. It kind of seems like it could be that to me, but it's, it's obviously not that from the trailer because it's set in the past. The very recent past. But. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it took my reading the the synopsis of the show a bit more to kind of like, okay, maybe I want to see this, especially because of the fact that it says it's loosely based on that book by, what's his name, Jake Adelstein. So, Jojo, with that said, 
I think we have come to the point where you tell us what the show is about, any? <laughs> <laughs> it's my job. Okay. <laughs> so this story is about this again, as you said, based on the the book, which uh, has a little bit of controversy behind it. But a journalist who was in Tokyo in the late '90s, early 2000s. The story of him joining a very prominent. Japan, very well-respected Japanese newspaper, even though he's an American, and uh, he is the first foreign staff member they've ever hired. And so he kind of proves himself on the team as being a, a good reporter, as, as following down leads, as being very dedicated, as being, you know, trying to get the right stories, and ends up uh, covering, becoming a, a, a crime beat reporter, but a little bit more than that in the sense of being a, uh, almost a, like an undercover story type with the, uh, the mob situation in Japan. So that, that's pretty much what it is about. It's kind of like a, a cop show, but at the same time you have the journalistic aspect of it. And then it's very, it has a lot of, of style and a lot of panache, if you will. And it's shot completely in Japan. First American series completely shot in Japan, from what I understand. And uh, it's 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 a very good and very interesting show. Yes, I think you both you and, and I have really been uh, mesmerized by the the stylistics in the show. But again, it's a show that is one hundred percent shot in Japan. You sort of expect that, but there is a touch of magic to it that makes that makes everything you watch, everything you see here, beautiful in a way that it, it, you 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 have to you have to imagine. Is there a lot of money invested here that is making this happening, making this happen, or is this really a question of the director's style, mm -hmm. the the photography director? The, the director himself, the producers, because there are a lot of reasons to to like this show. One, because it's an incredibly interesting story. It's a story that highlights a little bit of you can see you can see it two ways. It could be a lot to take in terms of American bravado, <laughs> because going to another country. And going after people that are deemed untouchable for a number of reasons, but also disrupting the order of things is it's a very American thing to do. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I suppose it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yes. Let's send a white dude over to fuck everything up. <laughs> And so, you know, again, that heroism, based on, on the way the book was written, a lot of it has been challenged. We, we have to say that over the years, the, the veracity, to a certain extent, of the things that Jake Adelstein wrote uh, for this book have been challenged. So it sort of reminded me a little bit of the controversy with Roots uh, over the years, 
the credibility of Alex Haley kind of like took a, a couple of knocks because a lot of the things that he claimed were true were just figment of his imagination. Yet the apports that the book itself made to black literature hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. devalue what roots signifies to African-American literature and American uh, literature for that matter. But some of the things that were claimed to be true or to have happened, eventually history shows that didn't happen. And I think that's the case here with the with the writings of Jake Adelstein. What what have you found out about this, George? Yeah, from from what I've been able to read is he very much is staunchly defending himself in that everything he ever wrote is essentially the truth. And there's quite a few people that worked with him at the time who are like, there's no way that ever happened or procedurally that would never happen. There are some people who are like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, he's what he stole, told, has told is substantially the truth, but he's kind of, you know, tweaked it a little bit. I think what I took away from it is that he, and I said this earlier to you, but I, I think it just is a good way to think of it. He didn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And he probably would have been, it probably would have been better for him if he had written this book as a novel. Because there's plenty of journalists who turn, who use their experiences in real life to write novels. Yes. And I think that he probably could have written this as a novel, even if it, you know, is 100% true, just changed, you know, a few names and things. And, and then he wouldn't have had to had this, um, I guess, blowback that he's currently experiencing now that it's been adapted. Because I don't think when the book came out that anybody questioned anything. Uh, that's not the impression I'm getting. But now that there's been an adaptation of it, and it's people are, you know, people don't like to read. <laughs> so, <laughs> But now that, you know, people in the know or whatever have watched it, they're like, no, there's no that 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 didn't happen that way. That couldn't have happened that way. Because you know, that that's not how the Tokyo police force works, or that's not how that newspaper worked at that time. Yes, yes. But I think basically what you're seeing is a what the what you're we're seeing in the the, the TV show is as loosely adaptation of a book that is probably not a hundred percent true, but kind of in the sense of you know having that friend who's gonna tell a story and you know. 90% of it is true. And then there's 1% of it where you're like, there's no way you said that to a cop, that kind of thing, you know, because <laughs> we're all, we're all the, the heroes of our own stories. And in, in his head, you know, maybe that is exactly what happened, but you know, I, I, I have the experience of, of having a very close relative who will tell you a story and completely believe that's how it went down. And, and to them, they aren't lying at all. And I would have been standing there having seen the thing happen and gone, that is absolutely not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just can come from a place of perspective and where we are in our lives at the same time. So anyway, there is controversy about the book, but I, I just don't think he let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I think substantially it's what we're getting is basically what happened to him. Basically, and I do think though that is, you know, a very part of the menu of everyday life today, how stories are told and what's true versus what's not true, because uh, 
over the past decade, I think, people have made it a point to thinking that each individual has ownership of a truth and that truth is their truth. And I think a lot of live gurus and television people, like among others, Oprah and all of these people that will tell you, will feel empowered enough to tell people, this is how you should go about life, have popularized the the, the phrase, speak your truth. And if you don't understand what that means, or if you don't really sit down and analyze what that is supposed to mean, it would easily lead you to believe that they are encouraging you to speak a truth to which you have ownership. But just because something happened in your life, something happened with your life, it's not, it's not different from the universal truth. It's either true, it's either the true or a lie, right? So telling it the way that it fits you, telling it the way that it makes you look a certain way, right then and there, if it is your truth and you are telling it your way, then you're lying. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you're lying because the truth is the truth. There is no such thing as your truth. And I, I feel like over the last decade or so, this paradigm has shifted a bit. And I don't know if this is something that I am blowing out of proportion, but I'd very much like to hear what you think about that, Judge. I yeah I I think that I think that there is a, a lot of of what is the word I think accepting that someone's viewpoint is exactly what happened or exactly what did not happen you know because we're all humans right and our experiences color different the ways we're going to see things and that kind of thing but if you're going to come down to facts if you're if you're talking about something non-emotionally if you're being objective not subjective then things either happened this way and this was said or it didn't and as you said it's either truth or a lie and i i think that in some ways that's a bit of a tragedy that that has happened because it has called into question the ability for people to actually be able to give a true narrative of something. Because what you'll hear all the time on cop shows is that, you know, eyewitnesses are, are crap, essentially. Eyewitnesses never get anything right. They're always wrong, that kind of thing. There's been scientific evidence to support that. And I think that in our current culture, that is probably very true because we've been encouraged to see things as we want to see them, to see things as our, our truth, as quote unquote, our truth. But if you go back to indigenous peoples and when there was no way to write down stories and the, the oral history, that was taken very, very seriously at exactly. the time. So if you're going to tell this story and this is going to be the history of our people, then this is going to be taken very seriously. And yes, there may be some deviations from it because, you know, perhaps you've forgotten a certain thing, but at the same time, the people who were historians at the time of, of their tribes, of, of, of their 
their people. Village or whatever, yeah. Village, yeah. They took the job very seriously yes. and they understood that this is the record of their people. The reason I bring that up is because there was recently a case in Australia of indigenous people who had a story of white colonists coming in and completely wiping out a tribe of uh, indigenous people and burning them. They burned the village, they burned the people. And there was absolutely no historical record of it anywhere other than the oral history of the, the indigenous people of Australia. And so everybody was like, well, it didn't happen. There's no way it happened. You know, y'all, y'all just made it up. It's one of those things like, you know, you just wanted to be part of the removal of, of indigenous people from Australia. Why anybody would want that, I don't know. But anyway, at some point, someone did a some building and discovered this very strange thing that they called out some uh, archaeologists, because I guess that is kind of the, the thing to do in Australia and, right. and I believe in, in, other, in the other European countries, that if you find something a little strange, you call an archaeologist to check it before you continue excavations. And they found this whole village that had been burnt to the ground with everyone in it. And then when they started doing more research, they discovered that Pages had been literally removed from paper annals of the town of the dates that were exactly the dates that had been handed down from generation after generation verbally through the tribe that this had happened. So then, boom, you have not only do you have so, so history, quote unquote, history had erased this white history had erased this from happening, yeah. but the verbal history of the indigenous people was the truth. So anyway, my whole point being, <laughs> my very long tangent there, is to say that I hate the fact that seeing things through your own lens and having your truth, quote unquote, has ruined eyewitness accounts, that there's no way to be able to trust that now when it used to be the understanding of this is a very important thing because there's no other way to tell this story. So I have to remember exactly what happened and the way it happened. Yeah. You're absolutely right. More, I mean, you know, oral history has existed long, long, long before scribes existed. And so, and so it was through storytelling, it was through the passing of oral, oral history that most of what we know, we know. Uh, what, what is preserved today on paper at one point was only told based on um, from mouth to mouth, so word of mouth, to uh, to put it that way. But I like the fact that you actually went and gave this account of what happened in Australia because if we are, if conservative lawmakers succeed in this country, I think probably in the next 50 years, there will be the notion that slavery never happened. Yeah. And yeah. And, yeah. I, and I know like we should be talking about Tokyo Vice, but I, I think the reason I thought the reason the reason we're talking we're focusing on the truth and what's true and what's not true is because apropos of the story you just told, the, the same thing has happened in the United States in that during um reparation after the Civil War, you know, the entire country had agreed what happened was terrible. It was a terrible chapter 
in our history and we are we are going to document it that way and we are going to tell the stories this way and about 90 years ago the south decided through the creation of the daughters of the confederacy and other movements to retell the story of the confederacy and the civil war in a way that placed the south in a better light to the point where you still have today people that view confederate statues as heritage and will argue with you right for the longest time there was this this southern historian who actually was still quoted in and still very beloved by by southern intellectuals shelby foot i believe his name was he had an entire version of the significance of the civil war and the confederacy and even slavery and he had a platform and that platform was because of how the rewriting of the confederacy and the civil war was so yes it is it it is important i think what we're trying to say here for people to when you are being objective about what happened it should match with everything else and that's that's what that, i think that's what we're trying to say here the yeah. notion that i'm going to tell this story this way because it's me telling it and this is my story this is my truth then chances are you're not telling the actual truth you're making shit up and if you want to do that write a book you know write a novel, write a novel. Or, or 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 tell a story you know and be like i'm gonna here's my fantasy story once upon a time this happened to me but yeah so i i just i i i hate that that has because as you said oral history has been around for much longer than than anything else and i hate the fact that it's been made and been orchestrated so that people will not be believed unless, and especially indigenous people and, and people who are, are in the minority will not be believed because it wasn't written down or we don't have a photograph of it yeah. or we don't have this or we don't have that when, you know, if, if it's just so important, your word is your bond. And it's just so important to keep that and to, to recognize that your truth is, is really an oral history and what, what happened. And if the time comes, I mean, we're looking right now at the Ukraine, you know, we used to be told years and years ago, if it's on the internet, it's there forever. It's going to be there forever. It's, it's never, ever going to go away. It is there for the end of time. And right now, you know, there's this huge movement and, and people frantically trying to save the Ukraine's internet history, because it's going to get deleted. It is being deleted. It's, it's being removed. So, you know, the history of the Ukraine people that they had on the internet is being removed. And, and so history can be removed. And the fact that, you know, in a hundred years time, there could be people that would say that never happened. You know, that that never happened in the Ukraine. There never was a Ukraine. What are you talking about? It doesn't even have to take a a hundred years because right now you've got people that are saying 
that January 6th did not happen. You're right. Yeah, you are it right. It didn't happen. Like, you know, it, it didn't. Like, what you saw there did not happen, you know. Yeah. And it, it, it's brazen. It's like, what do you mean? Like, what the fuck? I saw this thing. <laughs> like, the entire country was literally detained, like, stopped, stopped. To see this happening, bam, right there. Like, I remember getting to my car right after work. I get out of work at 3. I got in my car, and I'm like, holy shit, is this here? Is this here? And I got home, and I went on the TV, and boom, like, oh, my God, it is. It is, right? Yeah. But then you you have people telling you, no, man. That's, yeah, no. People died? No, dude. No, no, no. Yeah. It was some peaceful protest that kind of got out of hand. There was a couple of people who got a little rowdy and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, man. So, so this is it. This is, this is where a whole preamble to tell you that Jake Adelstein wrote what could have been a fantastic novel had he classified it as novel. Yes. And we are actually grateful that it turns out to be an actually fantastic TV show. Yes. Because that it is. There's uh, eight very powerful, fantastic episodes, great cast. And as you said, Jojo, stylistically, very pleasing in the eyes. Yes. And so let's delve into the cast a little bit. And we have Ansel Elgort playing Jake Adelstein. And I just learned with you that, you know, I've been impressed. You know, I've been impressed with how fluently, even though I don't speak Japanese, but I can hear fluency. I speak seven languages. So... I can hear fluency even in languages that I don't speak. I I can tell that when someone is regurgitating something that they memorized versus speaking a language that they know what it should sound like when they are expressing, when they are questioning, when they are pondering, all of these things you can you can get. When you, when you observe someone speaking another language, and Angel uh, Elgort as Jake Adelstein has impressed me with his Japanese. So tell us the story about how he came about speaking Japanese, Jojo. <laughs> so, so what I what I read and saw a snippet of an interview with him saying is that he uh, he signed on thinking that he was just gonna have to memorize like phonetically a few phrases of, of Japanese. He either didn't understand or genuinely didn't know that he was going to be speaking Japanese throughout this whole series. And so when he found out, they were like, oh no. And and maybe it was a decision that came later on down the road. I don't know. But so he found out and got immediately in uh, enrolled in very immersive, intensive. Japanese language courses, and and he said that he was uh, studying at least four hours a day, uh, just having the language of Japanese hammered into his head, and uh, he's he is fluent now in in writing 
in speaking and in writing Japanese. So I can I can testify that to be true. And here's the reason why. A lot of people ask me, how do I learn language? You know, like with all the languages that you speak, how did you learn them? Right? Did you go to school for them? And I'm like, no, I went to countries that spoke those languages. And so I told someone one one time, do you want to learn Spanish? Yeah. Well, move to Costa Rica, move to Puerto Rico, move to Dominican Republic, move to Spain for six months. And I promise you that you will learn Spanish. And they're like, in six months? And I'm like, yes. Because communicating is a basic necessity. And when you are somewhere where the language, when there's a language barrier, if you immerse yourself, if you, if you only allow yourself to be spoken to in that language, then you will have to communicate back. So it won't take that long. But if you go to a country and find yourself a little community of Americans and just hang out there, or if you go to a country and you find yourself friends that are bilinguals and are themselves trying to practice their English with you <laughs> all the time, then you'll never learn the language that is spoken in that country. So I, I believe what uh, Angel El Elgort says about learning Japanese. Four hours a day, every day for weeks. Yes, it will stick. It will yeah. stick and, and you will speak. And, and, and he's done a fantastic job speaking Japanese. I think too, and you know, the I saw some interviews with the rest of the crew and most of them do not speak English. So, you know, I think that the, to be able to, and since it was filmed entirely in Japan, I think that that was probably also another kind of immersion technique for him yes. too. You know, if everybody around you, except for possibly the director and the camera opera, you know, the camera crew is speaking Japanese and you, you better, you better start swimming fast. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And you want the job. I mean, this yeah. is a fantastic project and I'm, I'm glad that he, he he got it and he's he's doing it, you know, because I I think he's the proper Jake Adelson in this one. I like him yeah. for this yeah. role. He is. He's good in this. I, I know that there's some controversy around him and his his personal life. I I don't know how much of that has ever gotten resolved. Yeah. Um, so I d I don't know anything about that, but I have to say that, you know, I've seen him in many things. He was very good in baby driver. And uh, he's very good in this, too. I haven't watched West Side Story, so I don't know. But yeah, I haven't watched that either. I won't watch it. I probably won't either. No. And, and by the way, folks, you've heard me talking about musicals, so I am a musical guy. I'm, I'm a guy of the musicals, right? <laughs> West Side Story. Yeah. I saw the one made in the 50s, you know, so I, I, to me, I think we had this discussion before. It, it's a story of its time. So yes, I, it didn't need to be remade. I don't know that it needed to be remade. I'm happy for the people who've won Oscars, whether you know, Ariana DeBose and all of those folks. Yeah, man, you did a great job and whatever. But you know, what I'm saying like, this is not one that needed to be remade for me, at least. You know. Um. Yeah. So one of my favorite people on earth is Ken Watanabe. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I, I love him. As soon as he walked walks into the scene, I was like, yes, Ken Watanabe. He's so good. He is so good. I love Ken Watanabe, and I can't get enough of him. And he's matured. You know, he looked like an older Japanese gentleman now. He does. And 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 you still have the same love for him. Yes. You know? Yes. So although I, I do have to, to say see him here. I do have to say I looked at my husband and was like, Ken Watanabe got old. <laughs> 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 that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> I know, I know. You get like that, man, when you see some of the people that are you heroes and then you don't see them for a moment and then all of a sudden, man, we're like Oh wow, they've aged, but still love you, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, I still love you. Uh, so, 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 Ken Watanabe is Hiroto. What is it, Katagiri? Yeah, in... I'm gonna nod because I'm, I'm not a polyglot. <laughs> so, yes, uh, he plays. Is it? Is it like an inspector of the Vice Squad, right? I think so. Like, what yeah. would be the equivalent of that in a different? you know, American or British. I think he would be the inspector or maybe chief inspector. Yeah, yeah. But his relationship with the character of Jake Adelston is is really endearing. It is. Uh, um, there are two little girls that play his daughters in this one. And I can't get enough of those two little girls, especially when they're busted out singing before falling asleep. Because it reminded me of how much kids remember things that they need to do when it's time to go to bed, <laughs> when they're trying to stall. <laughs> you, know, you read an entire story for them, and they were like, yeah, but you know, don't do that. <laughs> you missed a page. Yeah. So can we sing now? No, dude, no. You're going to bed. <laughs> Um, Jamal had all kinds of things he needed to tell me. Like, dude, you don't even know much. <laughs> but yeah, that was funny. Yeah. What do you think of Rachel Keller, man? This character is a little bit, I don't know what to make of her because she is she's admirable, but she's a bit of a mess. Yeah. And she's that's... too close to reality for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a very good synopsis of the character that she plays. And I, I, I think is a testament to Rachel Keller. I, I I've watched her in she was in Legion. She played the character Sid in Legion. And she was uh she was just in a um a couple other things that I watched recently. Oh, she was in the the Dirty John series, but she played a Lisa Colkenna in Dirty John. But I think that she is a very, very good young actor and is, I think, a little bit underutilized because, yeah. I, and I don't know why, but I think that she has uh, a lot of talent. And I, I think that there are more roles that are that could go to her that she could bring a really interesting depth yes. to. Yes. Yes, because she's 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 very interesting to me. She's she's not a, a California native like a lot of the a lot of starlets. She's from Wisconsin, I think. Yeah, uh, Minnesota. So, yeah, Minnesota. Okay, one of one of those cold states with lots of snow. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, 
I yeah, I, I'm really enjoying this character because the first as soon as I saw her, she reminded me, you know, I come from the world of Caribbean resorts and stuff. And I used to I started working in entertainment within the resorts, sports and entertainment. So by day I was the guy on the beach organizing volleyball games and kayak races and sack races and stuff like that. And at night I was the dude on stage doing all kind of nonsense. And the the team that I used to work with, we did a very similar job than what the Rachels of the world are doing in Tokyo Vice, which is basically sit and be friendly with guests and make them feel at ease at home. Well, it was an all-inclusive hotel, so they didn't need to consume a minimum of anything. But you had to, you were literally hired, like we're the only part of the personnel that was there to be friends with the guest. Like it wasn't the same relationship with the guy at the reception or the waiters in the restaurants or anything. We were literally their friends, you know, and it was a very personal thing. And she reminded me of that. She reminded me of girls that used to be uh, colleagues and coworkers uh, that uh, I met many years ago. And those little personal messes <laughs> that she has going on are the same types of drama that I used to experience, except that back then they all thought I was their therapist and so I had to know about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they all thought I was, their, I was their, their therapist and they would come to me and, you know, like wake me up in the middle of the night and stuff, crying about stuff. And I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm kind of sleeping and I was kind of drunk and shit. So can we talk tomorrow? So yeah, I, I love this character. I really love it. It's, uh, it that's that's interesting to me because I, I I didn't know that about about resorts. I didn't I didn't know that that was a thing and I I didn't know about Japanese culture that there was places that you could go to to just essentially have a friend to drink with. Yeah. And I, I find that really interesting and, and sort of, it's like sort of disturbing and endearing at the same time. <laughs> yes. Because, because, you know, if you're not familiar with that, it sounds like escorting. Yes. Yes. That know? was my first thought. I was like, yeah. is this, what, what is this? And so <laughs> yeah. I actually, you know, looked it up. I Googled it and was like, Oh, okay. So you just go there and you essentially have a, a friend who sits and, and drinks with yeah. you. Okay. That's neat, but also weird. <laughs> it is weird. It, it, it is it is mad weird. But that's you know that that's one of the things. Like you know, in 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 resorts, you you have these people that seem that they're there all the time. Because I remember one of the questions I got asked the most is, "When do you sleep?" I'm like, "Nigga, I just came from my room. I was sleeping." <laughs> like. <laughs> But when you in a hotel for eight days or seven days or, or two weeks, and you see the same people around all the time, at some point you'll be like, are these motherfuckers being forced to work here? You know what I mean? Right, right. But we did get our free time. Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> some people would approach it with that kind of concern. Like, 
do they pay you here? Is the pay good? Like, you can tell that they're trying to ask you, like, yeah, bring twice, man, if you bring help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, my, it's just cultural differences. It's interesting. Of course, yes. My favorite character here mm -hmm. is Sato. Uh, this young actor's name is Sho Kasamatsu. I had a feeling that that would be your favorite character. This guy is, I'm telling you, I have a thing for, for this soul impenance kind of thing. And he is a guy that express, he expresses a kind of sadness even when he is dancing on the floor and having fun. And I love that. I, lo I love everything about this character. So this kid is going places, by the way. For me, he is one of the best actors in this bunch. One of the best. I saw an interview with the director, and he said that he saw the audition tape for, for this, this actor. And in the, in the interview with the director, he said something like, I saw his audition and thought, Holy shit, I've found the Japanese James Dean. That's big. <laughs> That's big. That's big. big. Yes. This 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 kid is amazing. Let's see, how old is he? Uh 29 years old. But what a good little actor. Uh, and then my favorite second person, of course, is Rinko Kikuchi as Emmy. I Emmy love, is cool. I love this character. Emmy is very cool. She's badass, more badass than you can. Like to be a, ba a, f a female and badass in ja in Japan is is a big ask. <laughs> yeah, even it's now, and especially you know twenty over twenty years ago, and in the past, yeah. But yeah, and she's introduced, she introduces herself instantly as a badass. We yeah, are introduced man. to her as a badass, and I love that. Ooh, she yeah. lays down the law right away. Right away, right away. It, Which is how you have to do it. It's, it's unbelievable. I love it, I love it, I love it. A couple of people, you know, Hideki Ito as Miyamoto. There's something, this guy has a, a this guy screams Hollywood. I don't know why. He, out of all these Japanese actors, he is the only one that seems like the Hollywood type to me. I, I think by now we can call him a corrupt cop, right? I think so. Yeah. Miyamoto. <laughs> yeah. But he's got he's got he's got a, a je ne sais quoi of of Hollywood to himself. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I, I don't know. Yeah, as you said, I don't know what, but it's there. Yeah. Tomohisa Yamashita plays Akira, who is the sort of like the quintessential Japanese gigolo. And I hate his character. <laughs> I fucking hate his character. The moment he was introduced, I hated it. Because like, you know, first of all, he, do he doesn't know what he's doing. The character, I'm not saying the actor, the character, he doesn't know what he's doing. So right. That's not the right way of doing any of that. And yeah, I'm not gonna tell you anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I will 
I'll tell you anymore. So you got to get me drunk one day and I'll tell you. <laughs> Completely shit face. <laughs> yeah. Then I will tell you some things. But so who else um, has uh, called your attention here? Let's see. There was the actress who played um, Samantha's friend, Polina. Uh, Ella, Ella Rumpf. Yeah. Yeah, she's French, which I'm surprised by for whatever reason. But yeah, she, uh, I thought she was good. I haven't seen I, her in anything actually, else. But I, so, so here's what I think. I think though she was born in Paris, the fact that she has Swiss nationality and she's so masterful at that Eastern European accent. Yeah. And based on her looks, I do think that she might well be uh, Slavic for real, okay. either Serbian, I mean, of descent, by the way, either Serbian or actually a Slovenian. Because it was the same thing with Tatiana Maslani on, on Orphan Black. Though Tatiana Maslani mastered so many good accents on Orphan Black. But when she played the, the Russian one, the Russian sister or whatever, she was too good. And I was like, yeah, she's got it. She, 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 she must have been raised with some of those women. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and with Ella Rumpf, I don't know that for a fact, but I, I do think that she was too good with that accent, with the behavior in, in itself. Like, yeah. there's a way that Slavic women comport themselves, sort of a sweetness mixed with a bad acidness. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. It's it's weird. It's it's weird to explain. You know, what I mean, like, no Slavic woman is like Melania Trump. Like, there there's a mix of sweetness and and, and I can don't kick get you on ass. Bad side. Yeah, exactly. That, don't piss me off. I'll be nice, <laughs> yes. but don't piss me off. <laughs> yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I got here. And I was like, yeah, yes, you know I mean? yeah. yeah. But you're right, man. She's 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 killing it. Yeah. I don't know if we get to see her in the second season, you know, but yeah, she she was she was dope. Yeah, Ayumi Ito played uh, Misaki, and I feel bad for her for the character that's sort of like the lover to Tozawa, because Tozawa yeah. Tozawa is an, is an animal. Yes, this character is yeah, that dude is a beast, and I don't mean that. In a in a complimentary way, he, he, the, the character of Tozawa is really, really a terrible person. He's he's scary, and you should be afraid of him. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's not of the um, I don't know bravado or anything. It's um, yeah, he he actually can. Yeah, do, like, do you harm? <laughs> which is why I'm I'm a bit skeptical about. Jake's brazenness addressing this dude like, hey man, nice watch. Dude, <laughs> do you see this guy? <laughs> yes. I mean, come on, man. Yes. Would you really, really like try and talk to this dude? I don't care how ballsy you are and how western you are, man. Like, there's some people when you see them, you're like, let me just don't fuck with this nigga. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> He's Let not going to do that. Move three steps this direction and around, and <laughs> I shall give you your proper respect and keep you as far away from me as 
possible. Yeah. While again, respecting you, but uh, respecting the fact you can probably rip my head off with one hand. So we're going to go with that, you know. But I'm missing some people here because the guy that plays Dozawa, I don't have them. Do you, do you, do you have it? I do. Uh, Ayumi Tanita. Uh, he has, it looks like he's mostly um, been really in just Japanese uh, series. So it's weird that he is like playing the lover of somebody that has <laughs> the same last name as him. <laughs> <laughs> but this dude is good at, at, at this. Like, even, even in his headshots and shit, he still looks like he could bite you, your head off. Mm hmm. Like out of character and shit, he still looks like he could buy your head over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mind props for him, man. Yeah. And uh, 47 years old. Yes. His name is uh, Tanida Ayumi. You know, keeping in mind that in Asian culture, last name comes first. So um, Watanabe would be Watanabe Ken. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So overall, this is a fantastic little show, and I we're still asking ourselves why aren't more people talking about it? Yeah. And if what turns you off is the fact that there are some inconclusive complaints and uh, accusations against Ansel Elgort, I don't know. It's your prerogative, but this is a show that deserves to be watched. You know. Yeah. So I would say take it for what it is, no? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think at some point you can, and this is just me, but I think at some point you can separate the work from the person if it's something as, I don't want to say non-important, but it, it, it's a TV show and, and, and he's an actor, you know, he's he's not, your state representative or, yeah. you know, making any rules that are going to affect your health care or, you know, yeah. your, your right to procreate or not procreate as you see fit. So um, I think at some point you can kind of uh, separate those, but that's just me personally. And this is already made. He's already been paid for it. So it's already yeah. out there. <laughs> Might as well watch it. Right. Right. That's kind of my view on furs, you know, like, if the fur is in the thrift store, not that I wear furs, but if I were to, if the fur is in the, already in the store, in the thrift store, in the junk store, or whatever, the animal's already dead. So, like, what it's, am I going to do about it? Yeah, I've been asking the question, like, would you still, do you still listen to R. Kelly? And I'm like, I never did. So, you know, I mean, it's not because of what he's done, what he's accused of. I, I never, like, I never found... Achilles music appealing, so I don't listen to it, but it ain't got nothing to do with that. But do do I agree with eh, don't buy, don't listen to Achilles music and shit? I don't know, man. That music is already made. That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Do you know what so, I mean? Yeah, it's it's already made. It's it, the money is, you know, I already have a subscription to HBO Max. I didn't get it specifically to watch Tokyo Vice. So it's always saying. Yep. It's that's it, it's always saying. Y'all would never listen to this podcast if you know some shit that I've said or don't. You know what I mean? Like, but again, these are some shit that I've said or done or done twenty years ago that I would never dream of doing today. And I'm obviously when I look back, I'm 
completely ashamed of, of those things. And, and I'm glad that I've grown out of all these phases and and these thoughts or whatever. So I think yeah. that's it's proper of every human being too. It's part of the process of growing. Yeah. You know, it's a part part of being we didn't come out perfect you know we we didn't get formed by perfect people we didn't get our you know our world wasn't perfect when we grew up in it and so i don't know i just think that yeah. some people are are incorrigible and should not be forgiven but if someone's making a genuine apparent or a genuine you know process and trying to to be a better person that we should embrace that and then call it a day yeah and then call it a day which is what we're going to do now. We're going to call it today, <laughs> but we want to encourage you folks to go to social media and find us. We are on Twitter and Instagram, Pinterest and Facebook. We have a Facebook group that is growing steadily. So Kicking and Streaming, all you have to do is looking, look for Kicking and Streaming. And you'll find us. Give us a follow there. You can find Jocelyn on Instagram, which is exclusively, you know, those podcasts that you can only listen to on, on Spotify. Jocelyn, you can only find on Instagram. That's right. It's the only place I exist. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and what do they find you under on the, on the what um, handle? KNS co-host. That's what she is. KNS co-host, man. Oh, did you know that, right? Yeah, that's just right here. That's me. You will find me on Instagram and on Twitter as Mr. Puzzetta. That's M-R-P-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-A. Graham P.L. Louis. That's what you'll find me on Facebook. But don't look for me in there. <laughs> Seriously, you don't want to be friends with me on Facebook. I'll be calling people idiot and shit and telling them to go fuck themselves. I do that on Twitter too, but on Twitter is Elon Musk is going to kick me out anyway soon. So, oh, I think Elon Musk is going to, you know, let everybody call everybody whatever they want. So, yeah, but until I tell him to go fuck himself. So then, <laughs> well, then, yeah, once you do that, you're, you're done. Then, well, actually, yeah. you might be hitting on him. So, free speech. Oh, yeah, that might well be. Yeah. Are you hitting on me? Are you yeah. flirting on me? Yeah. Yeah. So, you can tell that nigga doesn't understand certain things. Anyway, so, we there and whatever, find us, like us, go go for it. You know, yep. if you go we're to on, kicking and streaming, po- oh, go ahead. I was gonna say we're on we're on YouTube's, yeah, the YouTube's, the YouTube's, the YouTube's. We have the website kickingandstreaming.com. Here's your podcast.com. Yeah, kickingandstreamingpodcast.com, where yeah. you can buy us a coffee. Yeah, which would be nice. We'd like who'd, that very much. Who who doesn't like a coffee? I get coffee. my own damn coffee, so buy me a beer. Yeah, buy Graham a beer and <laughs> buy me, I don't know, a coffee and a beer. How about that? <laughs> there you go. So we are grateful for you listening to this podcast, and we will see you next week. So for me and for Jojo, this is goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest.
Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group.